When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this is the podcast that helps you with your relationship with fitness, food and your body. Today we are busting diet culture myths. We are talking about the 2022 dieting trends and we are calling it out. I am joined by dietitian Anna Sweeney who you might know online as Dietitian Anna. And I have loved and admired Anna's work for a long time. So it was such a pleasure to get to chat with her in this episode. And I love how passionate and angry, quite frankly, she gets. So I really hope you enjoy this discussion. We're going to be talking about all the big diets, including things like Noom, WW, the way that wellness um, is kind of being taken on by diet culture and it's becoming a case of many wolves in sheep's clothing but we will get into that in today's chat before that just a reminder if you're in the us that my book the train happy journal is out this week which is so exciting um you can get your hands on your copies and i hope that some of you have maybe pre-ordered your copies they've already arrived if you wouldn't like to be part of the train happy journal facebook community then you can follow the link in the show notes um and come join us we are there to support you on your 30-day challenge the 30-day journaling challenge in the train happy journal and we're here discussing all the stuff that comes up and supporting you on the way and so please come join the Facebook group if you haven't already. And not to mention, we do still have the final few spots on our Greece 2022 Train Happy Retreat. It's happening in September and I feel like it would just be so lovely to have something to look forward to right now. Um, It's five nights away in a gorgeous, gorgeous villa on the island of Crete and it has the most stunning views looking over the water um, we're close to the town of Chennai and we're going to have access to the beach and swimming we're going to be doing train happy workshops and dance parties and plenty of opportunity to kind of sunbathe and enjoy delicious food and soak up the kind of local atmosphere as well if you're interested in more information about the retreat once again check out the show notes um and i should note that payment plans are available so we want to make it as affordable this year as possible and of course before we get into the episode it's time to hear from this week's train happy trooper of the week This week's train happy moment comes from listener Holly and Holly says my train happy moment was listening to my body and knowing it needed to prioritize sleep over a workout. Having had an awful night's sleep 
from noisy neighbours. I woke my I woke up to my alarm at 6am feeling physically sick from sleep deprivation, but I put my gym kit on and I forced myself outside. But as I started stretching, I could feel how much my body simply needed to rest. So I got back into bed, I got an extra couple of hours of sleep, and it meant that I was able to actually function properly for the rest of the day. And I did this without feeling guilty. Holly, that is a train happy moment and a massive win if ever I heard it because going against the little voice in your head that's like, no, no excuses, keep going and actually listening to your body and honoring it is huge. And you know, sleep is a kind of common theme of these train happy moments that a lot of us are sharing and that so many of us do or have in the past thought we should be sacrificing our sleep to exercise and that actually listening to your body and getting adequate sleep is far better for your physical health and your mental health and you know that is so important too so I really appreciate you sharing that with us Holly and if you want to hear more from Holly you can check out our Instagram page at train happy podcast and you can hear more of or read more of Holly's answers to the train happy trooper interview and if you want to be featured as train happy trooper like I said follow us on Instagram at train happy podcast and DM us on there tell us if you want to be train happy trooper if you have a train happy moment you want to share with the listeners we would love 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 to hear from you Okay, enough from me. It's time to hear from this week's guest, the brilliant dietitian Anna Sweeney. Anna, welcome to the Train Happy podcast. I'm so pleased to be chatting with you. I've probably followed you now for like at least three or four years. Big fan of your work, and I'm so pleased to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Tally. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm fine. I'm it's January of 2022, which I'm I'm hopeful that this year will feel a little different than the previous years, but still it's January. So I have been quite busy. I was going to say, likewise for me, this is, you know, peak time for us. Um, and especially in your job as an anti-diet dietitian, um, who's trying to help people heal their relationship with food, mm-hmm. to fight diet culture, it's a busy time in January. How are you finding it? How? What are your clients saying to you? Are, are people feeling it more than usual this year, this time, or what? What are the you know? How is it on the ground? So I, I think January is when we all feel it in different ways, and one of the things that has been pointed out to me of late is just how much like so we are relying on social media a lot more and like targeted ads even there right like in my safe corner on Instagram like I don't see any of that bullshit because it's not what I am searching for in my daily life or thinking about or talking about um but there it it, I mean it's everywhere right it's on the news and it's about COVID prevention which is not a real life thing um and it's like that the layers to which diet culture and larger the industry of that like promotes and pays for diet culture uh, is loud and screaming right now. And it's kind of a twofold thing because it's doing the usual like undo the effects of December as though our bodies have the ability to tell like 
oh, today's January. Like, no, we just woke up a different day and it happens to be a different calendar year. Um, and then the kind of the healthism in the context of what we are living through. I think this is a triple edged sword. The last thing I'll say is um, the offerings of diet culture are or of the industry rather are so sneaky and mm. they make it about like, oh, this is about psychology and like outsmart your brain and starve at the same time. Um, like the rebranding of the same old same is still convincing and um, really challenging to say no to. We are certainly going to get into that today because firstly, I've noticed that cer certain diets have got a particularly big marketing budget this year and seem to be <laughs> everywhere. Um, and we will get into that. But also exactly that, the rebrand, the sneakiness. Um, I posted on Instagram last week, I got an email asking me to promote scales that you obviously weigh yourself on and their ha their campaign was called hashtag health not weight and it's like your scales how is it not weight the fact right. that you're not even wanting to associate yourself with weight but your <laughs> scales says so much about the to me the effectiveness of the pushback of the anti-diet movement of things like intuitive eating of all of those things but we still need to have our wits about us because like you know things are trying to kind of metamorphose into the language that we want to hear um it's getting sneaky so we've got to be on our lookout which is what we're going to kind of hopefully um get through today and equip the listeners with today like what are the things they need to look out for before we get into that though I want to hear your story, how you became a dietitian and how you got to specialize in intuitive eating. Sure. So I, um, my original life goal was to be a sports broadcast journalist. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Eh, this is not an important phase of my life, but then I, I had MS and I was being, you know, I've had MS for a million years, but I was on medications that made me sick and I ended up transferring schools uh, and I came home to a sister that I did not recognize. Um, and and I'm t not necessarily talking about her physical body. I'm talking about like just the, the, sh the human that she was. Uh, and I, I had learned of Katie's eating disorder prior to going away to school. And after being gone for a semester and coming home to a new human, I took my first nutrition class, I fell in love with the nutrition science, and I was very clear that I would be an eating disorder dietitian. Um, and so I, this is not bragging, this is just statement of fact, in the context of knowing I had a chronic illness. Granted, I was 18 years old when I was saying these things and had no idea that disability would actually become a part of my life ever. Uh, but I graduated college in two and a half years. Um, so that I, because I, you know, I wanted to do this before I couldn't do this work. Uh, and I am so, so grateful to say that I've had a, a number of opportunities in the eating disorder treatment field. And um, my sister has gotten well and plenty of my clients have gotten well and recovery is real and recovery happens. Uh, and in the context of becoming the practitioner that I am now. And I think we're always 
you know, we're always learning and always, or can be always learning and looking to enhance skills. And what I have really learned as a practitioner um, is that my job is so much less about being a nutrition expert than it is about helping my clients to return to their bodies. And so intuitive eating so naturally fits um, for the work that I do. And I think it's actually one of the telltale signs of like, what is the difference between a diet and what is the difference between something that is actually like on, you know, in, on your, on one's behalf and more like high up experts declaring, this is what you should do. This is how you should do it. Uh, follow these rules. To me, that's actually an insecure teacher trying to provide people with a bunch of rules as compared to what can be a really um, lovely return to trusting self. And do you feel more of a collaboration with your client rather than uh, you being the ultimate authority on their body and how, you know, if you eat this snack every day and you should eat this at two o'clock mm-hmm. and have that at five o'clock for you, is that part of it? Cause I feel like that from a fitness perspective, I feel that it's about, you know, working with someone rather than thinking that I'm the authority yep. on their life. A-, a billion percent. And I will actually say, so I started my eating disorder career actually working at uh, like at a hospital. And so I, an eating disorder clinic, but very high level acuity. And I remember being young and actually having that belief, right? That like, I'm going to feed this person. I'm going to help them nurture themselves and like, they're going to get better. Or I recall running like nutrition groups and not really understanding the answer to a question. And so like adding a gajillion words to like circuitously kind of respond to a question. Um, As I have gotten more supervision and support and just more practice in this work, learning that I am not the ultimate purveyor of wisdom has been the most important thing. And I wish, and I think it's a lesson and I wish more people learned it, that that kind of parallels between working in fitness and working in nutrition, I think, is that we want, you know, so much gets tied up in our ego rather than, mm-hmm. and I, you know what you're saying about you found that the more experienced you got as a, as a dietitian, I would probably also say the more secure you got in yourself as a dietitian as well that you didn't need to know all the answers to everything and you didn't need to be this authority and and that's a huge part of it and I would say the same as a trainer it's like I you know if I I I trust people to make their decisions for them mm-hmm. I also know that what we're taught and I don't know if you found this in your training as well that the idea that everyone has to like adhere to rules and it be perfect and follow perfect plans and all that kind of stuff really doesn't necessarily fit with the real world for the vast majority of people. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, and that's important and you're totally correct. I mean, I like age and training and time has given me access that and what a difference it might have been 
were we originally trained with this message of like your clients' bodies are going to tell you all of the things that you need to know and like let's listen and help our clients listen and empower that instead. It's just super antithetical to the manner in which I was trained in conventional nutrition therapy is like we're very much we are the nutrition experts and we set nutrition goals and we solve problems. Um, and I am so grateful that that is not actually at all the work that I do. And I think your clients are also very grateful too that you do things differently. Um, so I know you have kind of been in the eating disorder field for a long time now. Um, and I suppose, and I hope therefore it's never been the MO to, you know, encourage diets. Um, I just, I just hope, <laughs> I know that, I know that the eating disorder field can, sadly can be a bit of a minefield, but I, I hope, um, but you are really vocal about the harms of dieting and the risks of dieting. And you share that as like prolifically online as well. Um, why don't you recommend diets for intentional weight loss? So I think we have to be really thoughtful. And I, I say this acknowledging that I'm a person that lives in this very privileged body. Uh, and I don't know the experience. Of, I don't know what it's like to be in a body that is oppressed for the size of that body. And we certainly live in a world that, I mean, would suggest that I have like a very healthy body because I am, I am thin and I'm super, super not healthy. And like, I never ever will be. Um, and I totally appreciate the appeal of dieting. I think it's what you mentioned earlier, like the, the diet industry has had to pivot because conventional quote dieting is no longer like the cool thing. They're like, it's clear quote diets don't work. And if you look at the research, some overwhelming number, like 95% of dieters will regain or gain weight following like endeavoring on a diet. And we know that cyclic dieting increases risk of all sorts of health conditions, not least to say what happens psychologically when a human's body is changing shape and the inevitable positive praise that is provided when someone is smaller and then the silence that follows if someone then moves into a larger body and again, I'm speaking about this strictly from lessons that have been shared with me um, and how, how heartbreaking. I think it's very important for us to all remember, like our bodies cannot differentiate intentional restriction of food, intentional um, dieting practices from famine. And because we are a species that has evolved over such a long period of time, we have these really adaptive systems that are that have made it possible for us to survive periods of time where like food has not been readily available. And our bodies are really, really good at keeping us safe. They love homeostasis. So when folks diet, 
there might be an like initial change in body shape, size, whatever. And what also accompanies that is a slowing down of metabolic rate for the sake of keeping us alive. This isn't a human doing something wrong. This is a human's body doing the exact right thing. Um, but diets are really not sold. I, th I think they are, they're sold with these really pretty bows, right? If you change your body, your life will get so much better in, in all of the ways. And I know there are some humans for whom it really feels unsafe to move away from what the diet industry offers, because this is a planet that is really, really cruel and um, mistreats people who live in fat and very fat bodies. And that is just a fact. Um, and the number one um, indicator of adult weight gain, this is not for children, although the same thing applies, is dieting. Like I, I can pretty much guarantee that if someone diets, their body will end up larger than it was before. That's not, again, this is not like an individual at fault. This is biology and survival of the species. And I think it's also worth saying in that as well, that it's, it's about that long term. Because I think when people think of diets, they think like, yeah, it works because I remember I lost all that weight. And then it's my fault that it returned. And that was because I couldn't stick to the diet. But all of that is in the soup of the diet not being sustainable, therefore it not working long term, because if it was supposedly something you could do for the rest of your life, you'd be able to do it for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that your biology is working really hard to get you back to where it wants to be really, to where your body is most comfortable. And so when you've got companies and influencers and people selling you plans, you know, telling you like in 12 weeks, in mm. six months, you can achieve X, Y, Z. They never follow it up with, and five years later, you know, here's this person now. And I do right. think in that rare case of people who are like, it's five years later, you know, I think there's obviously, good, there is like with everything, there's kind of anomalies and outliers. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who, which I think is one of the biggest risks. And this is something you, I mean, please expand on this risk of dieting being a gateway to disordered eating and mm -hmm. eating disorders. And I know in my own case, for me going on this kind of, you know, well-intentioned get health kick, health kick diet, kind of escalating into orthorexia, um, was obviously never my intention, <laughs> never the outset, um, but was also how I maintained my weight loss for longer. Um, but, you know, once my relationship was healed and I was letting go of that, then my body has done what it needed to do to get me back to my happy place. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's a part of that. And and so I'd love to just talk about that, the risk of dieting and um, our relationship with food. In so many ways, I actually think that is the like the biggest risk, right? I think there it's mm -hmm. twofold. It's it's the um, B 
beating ourselves up for having functional bodies. And then it is the inevitable deleterious relationship with food and body that follows a successful or unsuccessful, I say that with massive air quotes around both of those words, um, experience with dieting. And you're a thousand percent correct. If 25% of people who diet go on to develop an eating disorder, we are not talking about a casual low-risk experience. And the fact is, um, there are a lot of factors right now that like the fact that I met you on an app, right? Like this is an interesting phenomena. We are living through a social experiment that's not been conducted before. Um, living through a pandemic where we know that incidents of eating disorders went way up um, and casual dieting can easily become something that is not casual and is actually of extraordinary harm. Uh, and I think it's really, really hard because so many of us are navigating this, like we want to take good care of ourselves. We want to do this thing that's going to like lead to greater longevity or a better relationship or whatever. And we are hearing these cries from people on high, be it influencers or doctors or whomever, saying, if you can just stick with this thing, then all of like life will evolve. And we just know that that is not, it's not the case. It doesn't pan out that way. Um, and so I think the trouble, I mean, there's lots of trouble with dieting, um, but the very real experience of humans who have relatively normal relationships with food and then go on a diet and then their brain chemistry changes and it becomes a pathological something, this is nothing to kind of overlook. And even for the people who do not develop a pathological something that doesn't like extend into a full-blown eating disorder, hand on heart, like so much compassion because I think the line between those who are formally diagnosed with eating disorders and those who struggle and live with extraordinarily disordered eating, most commonly, that's just about an appointment with a therapist or a medical doctor, right? Like there are way more humans who actually have eating disorders, but feel like they are eating in the way that they need to for health or whatever. Um, and so we're missing that whole collection of people that never actually get officially diagnosed. And then there's, I mean, there are so many layers to the DSM being problematic. Um, and we're, I mean, we're missing, we're missing a whole bunch of humans. And I would say of the two to 5% of people who go on to diet, quote, successfully, the odds of those humans not living with extraordinary disorder, um, whether it is pathological or not, has a diagnosis or not, in my um, humble opinion and experience, um, 
those are not humans who are not living with probably some degree of pathology. And I completely identify with that person of falling through the gaps of, you know, only in hindsight do I realize that a lot of my behaviors were very disordered. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the time, everyone just thought, oh, she's really healthy. She's just really fit and healthy. And like, she's fine. She's doing great. And, you know, there there being a lot of validation from a lot of people um, because, you know, sadly, I work in an industry as well. And I've said this multiple times on this podcast, you know, I work in a fitness industry where disorder is actually very normal, Mm. you know, Um, skewed relationships with food and exercise and your body um, are normal and role modeled frequently, you know, and that's easy to find on social media. That's easy to find in your gym. That's easy to find from the instructor leading your local class. Really sadly, there is that in-between point where, you know, it, it isn't picked up and it isn't recognized as a full-blown eating disorder and therefore it kind of carries on and manifests and projects onto others and it's really sad. Um, and I, I also think it's worth saying as well that that point about that risk as well is, you know, we know that eating disorders like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, these are some of the have the highest mortality rates as well and I Mm -hmm. think you know if people can say oh it's only 25% like you say that's not even probably a true depiction of how many people are are um unwell um it's only 25% but the risk to those those people's lives long term and you know to like to me that risk is just so great I I can't ethically recommend someone go on a diet when to me the risks far outweigh and you know any sort of positive and and that's the conclusion I've come to and I feel like that's the conclusion you've come to um and yet I think as you've really importantly pointed out um for people who are looking to gain access to certain medical treatments or looking to you know such as IVF or something I can't imagine, and I, it, it really pains me to think of being put in the position of, you know, do you go try that diet or do you not have access to maybe having a child? And to me, that is, it's- It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, yeah. Um, and so I think we have to hold, and I, and I know you do, and, and I, you know, really hope that everyone listening knows we hold so much compassion for mm. that choice and that that kind of dilemma. And, you know, I think it's, horrible that people even put in that situation to begin with 100 um so let's go through the diets that are particularly loud I mentioned and I thought we could just go through them and you can just call them out and (laughs) and and speak your truth on each of them I wanted to start with the diet du jour which I kind of alluded to having the biggest marketing budget I've heard of from people you know bringing up on my Instagram stories last week from the amount of people told me they received um, without knowing how on earth they got on any sort of mailing list, receiving post, you know, leaflets through the post from this company, targeted ads on social media, um, all the rest of it. It's Noom. Mm. Now, this is one of those sneaky ones. Noom weight, right? Like, yeah. But it's Noom and in my research of Noom, it's like 
created by kind of two tech bros who come up with an app and they want to try and implement psychology and all of it. But at the end of the day, you put your weight in, you have to take photos, you have dietitians on there telling you to eat calories that a toddler would eat. What are your thoughts? I think this is kind of next level uh, diet industry manipulation, right? Because this actually gets to the heart of if you are a smart person, right? It's appealing to intellect saying this is, you know, a thing. I watched an ad where someone was finishing a plate of pasta. And I was like, yes, that's what you do when you have a plate of pasta. Um, and the idea that like this is about self-control or self-regulation. And if you just learn these skills to more craftily be manipulated into not eating enough food, then you'll feel great. And you're so smart for doing this thing because you're using cognitive behavioral therapy and everyone needs, right? This is like patent out loud manipulative stuff but it is appealing to the parts of us that say like well i'm a smart person and what i see in these ads are people living better lives and i want that for me and no one has ever taught me these strategies before so because i haven't cognitive behavioral therapied myself into like semi-starvation before of course, this is what I need. Um, and again, tons of compassion for the humans out there who are looking at Noom and feeling like this is like, this is a totally different offering because it comes with uneducated coaches on the back end and you're taking pictures of your food and it's red light, green light, yellow light. Mm. It's a diet. It's a diet, but it's a super duper duper manipulative one because it says and if you don't choose this it's because you're choosing not to train your brain it's really putting it on that um that kind of personal responsibility angle um but also it's that they're also using the language of intuitive eating as well so for those of so I think this is where it gets tricky with Noom is because if you're interested in intuitive eating and you know you might follow Anna and myself and pages like us and it's kind of like piqued your interest and you're curious but you're not you know you haven't quite done the research on it it can feel like a non from my from hearing people's experiences of just like I say feedback through Instagram and and people telling me the stories of why they were tempted to maybe try it or Mm -hmm. even download the app or have did do it for a few weeks Mm -hmm. it pulls you in that says like oh we're not really it's not a diet like you think it is Mm -hmm. we're using psychology we're using the language intuitive eating it's like about mindful eating and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. which and I believe they've also, if you t- search Noom on Google, they've also like put intuitive eating, or sorry, should I say, if you search intuitive eating, Noom have like mm-hmm. bought the SEO on Google so that it comes up to the top. So it's even harder to to differentiate between what it, act, you know, 
the fact that it's a diet, the fact that it's going to restrict your calories and using the language of intuitive eating, which is completely not a diet. Right. And I think Noom appealing to the like, feel your hunger, feel your fullness, like that, those being the two most kind of salient components of intuitive eating, but we're also missing eight other principles that are just as important as having the ability to feel hunger and experience fullness. This is exploitation in its finest hour. I have have very little else to say, except it is just, it is foul. We spoke to Elise Resch on the podcast and she was, um, yeah, not happy with the fact that they were kind of co-opting the language of intuitive eating. And, And for me, I feel that's very intentional, very intentional to use those angles because they know that this traditional diet method, this diet model, should I say, is dying out. People have seen it for what it is. They know the harm. They've got the experience you know, they might have seen their parents go through it. They might be going through it. So they're like, I don't want to do it like that. I don't, I don't think I could do like a Weight Watchers, but this isn't that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is, this is extraordinary, ex- like extortion and misuse of intuitive eating language. And again, speaking to like, we are speaking to these, like these intelligent people saying, you're really smart. You just haven't like trained your brain appropriately to be able to like not finish uh, your food, right? You just haven't used or been taught skills or strategies or gone to enough therapy to be able to appropriately use this really good brain that you have. And so because diet, the, like the diet industry is aware of the fact that like diets are losing market share. And that's true. Um, And this explains all of the rebranding of big brands because they know, right? They they are aware of the fact that they are not popular and that we are trying to kind of reclaim our body autonomy, enter Noom, and you are... um, silly if like stupid perhaps if you don't do it and if you don't do it I think the least insulting thing is like well you're just being silly that you've not done this thing um it is it is horrible so there you go don't do noom (laughs) we can don't do noom yeah And whilst we're on rebrands, obviously it's time to talk WW, which is the next one on the list. (laughs) So WW, formerly known as Weight Watchers, now I think Wellness Watchers, I think is what the W stands for, or Wellness, I did write it, I did write it down. Their, well, their, their phrase now is weight loss that works, wellness that works. Um, Famously backed. Famously promoted, I think, I believe Oprah has a big stake in the company now and they do WW tours along across the country and um, it's all kind of like wellness conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, And from from interviews I've heard from those things, um, those, say those public events, it's it's not often very 
um, like obviously diet focused or like, you know, how are you cutting calories today? It's not about that. It's a general conversation about, it is just a general kind of health and wellness conversation or like a well-being conversation. So on the surface, it seems like, oh, great, this is this is positive. We're, we're moving away from that restrictive language, that restrictive discussions. It's just about your wellness. Um, why, once again, have we got a brand? Um, why have we got a wolf in sheep's clothing? What What's going on here? Again, we know that diets don't work. And this is like, the diet and now wellness industry, they're synonymous um, because wellness is a much more intriguing word. And we can say wellness. And does that mean sleep hygiene and like safe access to food and social connection? Or does it mean if you're well, you have access to a gym and you're eating clean um, or whatever? I think, and I, I don't know why you would have watched this, but Adele was interviewed by Oprah and it was, did you watch it? I've seen clips. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it all, but I did see clips. You don't need to, but it was a fascinating thing because Oprah was asking all of these leading questions of Adele and Adele was having none of it. Um, And it like I obviously as a clinician and a person that does the work that I do, it was just fascinating to see and hear how much. Um, I mean, Oprah's whole or her adult life has been losing and gaining weight in front of millions of people, mm-hmm. um, and I have no idea what that must you know, must have been like, what must that be like now? I have a lot of appropriate amount of compassion for Oprah. Um, And I think this rebrand, again, is about appealing to the fact that the masses know that Weight Watchers today, or whatever, WW today, is Weight Watchers that your grandma was on 40 years ago, it is the same idea. Um, and maybe the like individually packaged foods are tastier today than they were 40 years ago, but it is a restrictive, it is a restrictive diet and, and success is measured entirely based on, you know, weight outcomes or clothing size change or whatever. This is not about engendering a healthy or thoughtful relationship with food or body. This is still about outsourcing body wisdom to someone else and paying money for the same the same product. Um, it's so 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 manipulative and so sad, um, and it's not going anywhere because Kerbo is still a thing um it is so uh, Kerbo because I feel like I haven't thought about it for a while but that is the Weight Watchers app for children oh it sure is oh my goodness it is it's horrific it is Mm -hmm. an eating disorder for a child packaged up in an app yes with uneducated 
health coaches on the other side, whatever, and I, I'm not trying to be slanderous of people who are health coaches, but these are people when the app first dropped, there was an introduction of like 16 young, all thin, all conventionally attractive from Eurocentric standards, um, people who are supposed to interface and coach chill children um, about how to appropriately nourish themselves as as an eating disorder practitioner kids are the ones that i am the most careful with and most often i don't even meet with the kids i just meet with the parents um and so the idea of those lessons coming from it's not even about education but it is about understanding of the impact right that these these coaches have on kids relationships with food forever it's, it's horrifying ww weight watchers whatever will keep me employed forever and i would rather retire that is the sad reality isn't it that this mega brand ww is responsible for putting children on diets and we know that like we said the risks of dieting at any point are great but for children who are so vulnerable impressionable um, this can really set the stage for um, a really difficult path into adulthood and, and and through that and I think if you do talk to a lot of adults who struggle with food who struggle with um, disordered behaviors with exercise with food um, with their bodies, so much of it can be traced back to childhood. And so it's terrifying that there is a company willing to profit off of that. Right, right. And you think about like growth curves go up for a reason. Yeah. And if there's ever a time that a child or an adolescent is losing weight, it's never an indication of health. <laughs> Bodies are diverse, right? We There have always been thin people. There have always been fat people. And that is from child, like baby status to childhood to adulthood. And the idea that we are condemning young people's bodies for just being the bodies that they're kind of designed to be. I mean, Weight Watchers wants to make itself relevant forever um well you, the way you said you know Weight Watch is going to keep me employed this whole time I think by getting children on those things young the sad thing is they're going to try and entice those young children you know early teens in for the rest of their lives because like we say we know that like you know long term there's a high chance of um gaining weight back that if if you if you lose it right through intentional um, dieting and so then you get back in the cycle again of like well I've got to get back on that program again and so they're basically setting trying to set themselves up with like members for life and it's awful it's it's sickening to be honest yep not good okay so moving on to a to a diet that I feel is to my mind really like synonymous with like bros silicon valley 
um, tech guys, Jack Dorsey from Twitter. Um, it's intermittent fasting. And I thought it might be no surprise to you. Um, this idea that we have to eat within a certain window in the day and that, you know, traditionally it's like, I think, I think it's, is it 16, eight, the window usually like you eat within eight hours, you fast to the other 16, I think is like one of the, one of the intermittent fasting recommendations. I don't know. I've never done it myself. Um, but this idea that once again, you can't trust yourself and there's this magic window of time when you can eat and then you restrict the rest of it. Um, And I do know people that have done this diet and, you know, people literally like counting down the minutes until that it's like midday and they can eat, Um, (laughs) which as we know, as people who um, practice intuitive eating (laughs) just feels so, um, so uh, conflicting with what we know about listening to your body and your hunger cues and working with your body. Yeah, what are your thoughts on, intu- on intermittent fasting? So firstly, our bodies are these incredible things, right? When we eat carbohydrates, they are, over the course of a day, store like we store glycogen in our liver and our muscles so that we don't perish when we sleep at night, assuming we are sleeping at night um, or whenever someone sleeps. There is a long-ish period of time that happens naturally in which we fast, right? Like, and it's not called fasting, it's called sleeping. Um, Our bodies work metabolically most appropriately when they are fed every several hours, a variety of different foods um, all day long. And if someone feeds themselves that way, by the end of the night, they'll be able to go to sleep and um, not perish because again, glycogen has been built up and is stored in your liver and your liver is empty when you wake up in the morning, which is why you have to eat. Uh, It's not the only reason that you have to eat, but I think you're a thousand percent correct to identify intermittent fasting as this like bro-y thing. And obviously there are like religious fasting is not the same as intermittent fasting. I am really done with the people that come at me when I talk about intermittent fasting as though there is this, um, like there's actually like good research to support this as an actual practice. There is not. Um, And to be quite frank with you, and now I'm actually talking about like a pretty close friend relationship. Um, he is a broy guy, and his experience with intermittent fasting is going on to start engaging in binge eating behaviors. I think we're not talking about the fact that again, your body, our bodies do not understand when there is not enough nutrition coming in. And so because like we're using our prefrontal cortex to make this decision, like, oh, I'm not going to eat for whatever, 13, 16, however many hours, your amygdala, like these old parts of our brain, the back of our brain is still going to say, and I need food, and I need food, and I need food. And so at the beginning, when people talk about, and this 
again, this is purely anecdotal. Um, people talk about feeling really good and like I can super focus and I'm da 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 da. Um, and then there is a breaking point because we are not, in fact, in a food. I'm speaking about myself, but like anyone, anyone who has, like, this is only a practice for humans who have access to opulent amounts of food, right? No one who doesn't have access to food would choose volitionally to not eat for 16 hours. The fact that affluent people have this idea of like, oh, I'm just going to choose to trick my body to not need fuel for most of the day. For some humans, will it do something to a body in the short term? Sure. Can you intermittently fast and live a fulfilling, connected life? I, I'm going to actually go so far as to say no. Uh, and this is, this is transient anyway. No one can do this forever. Uh, and I know that my friend is not alone in having the termination of this practice be something that actually went on to be something that felt really, really, really bad. I, I think essentially the, the, well, intermittent fasting itself is, a very condensed <laughs> restrict binge cycle to me. You're yes. restricting, you get this window of food and I, you know, for some people I think they think within reason they can eat pretty much as much as they want within that window. And then because there's that perceived and self-imposed scarcity coming up, there, you know, I think people might fill their bags and be like, I need to eat as much as possible right now because I'm going to be without food for 16 hours, which is not a healthy approach to have to eating um but also like you say ultimately long term it gets to a point where your body is so uh in that you know falling back in and out of that scarcity mindset but in that scarcity mindset the whole time because they know that there's like the vast majority of the day the week you're not getting fed that those feeding periods are likely to feel more and more out of control, more and more frenzied, more and more um, like you have to eat huge portions and mm -hmm. eat a lot more food than you would if you were at meal times. You know, if you were kind of just listening to your body throughout the day. Um, what what I do want to ask you is, I know some people like myself. I have found um, working from home more. I used to be a very, you know my work, my working day was different, you know, pre COVID, I was often like eat first thing in the morning, get going my day. But now my days are so much different. My energy requirements are different. I find myself naturally leaning towards eating a bit later in the morning. Um, and I think sometimes people will say, well, I like, I like eating. I, I think intu intermittent fasting works for me because I, I, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm not really hungry until, you know, late morning, lunchtime that works well for me. Um, I, that suits me, you know, I, I know my body and that suits me. But for me, it's the line of going, I'm listening to my body and I'm eating when I'm hungry and mm -hmm. what feels right for me. And then I'm adding in the rule that I'm not allowed to eat before 11 a.m. And to me, those are two very different things <laughs> of saying, you 
that you know there's one thing going like oh I'm I like today I naturally ate later tomorrow I might eat breakfast at 7 a.m it could you know it could, it's just what it is it's just how my body goes but I think it's as soon as we start putting the rules in place of like this specific time that's when it's tipping into diet big diet territory and like we say very much in that restriction mindset yep I think it's about the anything that is imparting a rule mm. about when or how we are choosing to nourish ourselves, we are in trouble, right? Yeah. This is not about us just like I happened to sleep in and I chose to eat a little bit later. I mean, that's that's fine. And I – so I, I happen to be kind of the opposite, Tally. Like I like – eating when I get up in the morning and I'm naturally an early person and I go to bed pretty early. Um, and I like eating when I get up in the morning, even if I'm not hungry per se, it's just like, I like the way my body feels when I feed myself that way. And having a rule about it, like I don't have the, I have to eat when I get up in the morning mm-hmm. so that I can make my metabolism work. It's just that like, this is how I know my body feels best. Um, and if you are a person that wants to have, or sometimes have breakfast closer to 10, because that's what your body is calling on, that's not intermittent fasting. That's just sleeping and being a responsive human. Um, but when we are talking about doctrine that is not at all related to what our bodies are feeling, but is about like, how do I outsource this piece of wisdom? How do I, um, like what are the rules that I need to follow so that I am being, you know, a compliant and good human. We are that like, that's really, really, really big trouble because we are naturally as humans. And again, this is kind of appealing to like the smart parts of us. We like to break rules. We, like we do. We did. It's just like, <laughs> if it's a yellow light, can you get the yellow light before the end of the yellow light? Like, is that safe? Um, and like, we like to test things. We like to push the limit and it's really hard when particularly the, the like messaging, and this is certainly true in gym culture, although I haven't been in a gym in two years because of all of the world. Um, there's so much like push through, like override everything and like injuries happen right there, right? Like the minute you stop doing a thing that you feel comfortable doing and you're just pushing for the bros, like that's where you get hurt. Um, I think of this largely in, in largely the same way. Um, if we are making decisions about how to feed ourselves based on a clock or someone else's computer, um, we are setting ourselves up and it's the really important thing to note is that we aren't setting ourselves up to quote fail we are setting our bodies up to do exactly what they're supposed to do that's the thing that they're responding in the way that they know how to yeah i think um with well, there's kind of two other diets I'm thinking of that do link nicely with that that Jimbro, you know, mentality. 
who I'm thinking of as firstly uh, macro counting, um, if it fits your macros was a really big one. That's certainly one that I was kind of well-versed in, um, practiced within reason. Um, and then obviously, and that usually implies like tracking food through apps like MyFitnessPal and putting in your calories and macros for the day and, and all of that. That's another really popular one in the fitness world in um, whatever. And there's a lot of discussion and this is something I hadn't necessarily originally planned to talk about today, but I have since someone messaged me about this um, and it was sending me a video of a male fitness influencer telling people basically, and Anna, you would, <laughs> you, you would just hate it. Um, <laughs> he was basically saying, you just need to count calories. Um, calories, why do we count calories? It's because it's collecting data. We need to know data. We need to, so that long-term we can look at food and go, there's so many calories in that food. There's so many calories in that. And for the people who are struggling with this and say, oh, you're encouraging eating disorders, counting calories encourages eating disorders. Well, that's your problem. Was essentially, that is it in a nutshell, was basically saying like, if you get an eating disorder from counting calories, then you're not strong enough. You're, you know, mm. you're not, you, was it just to me, it really input, it really implied that it was a person's fault for the reason that they got, you know, um, had an eating disorder. And I just want to say to everyone, it is never anyone's individual responsibility or fault. And to me, that is so gross. And I, it really, um, it really, <laughs> it really triggered me <laughs> by the fact that someone was saying that. But also what I kind of took from that video is that that was a massive example of how disordered behaviors are normalized in the fitness industry. It is not normal to look at a plate of food and go, oh, there's X amount of calories in that food. This is our calories. And Anna, I would just love for you to confirm that working with people with eating disorders, to me, that is a really key eating disorder behavior is that this constant monitoring and mental calculations and constantly thinking about food in that way, that is not the thinking of a person with a healthy relationship with food. That is yeah. a sign of disorder. And to me, that is just macros and calorie counting and all those other recommendations are from people who probably without realizing have developed a very disordered relationship with food. I a hundred million percent agree with you. I think it is so fascinating the way that macros are talked about mm. as though macronutrients haven't like always existed, right? We've always gotten like our food from carbs and fats and proteins. This is like, those are the three places that we can get en like energy from. Um, but then you start doing this thing where we're talking about macros. It's almost like you're separating just like the bare bone structure of food and making it something else to like fit this into this category or that category. Um, and again, if we have the privilege of having access to a wide variety of food, I have no question that like, the number of macros, whatever, like it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you're eating enough food, you're covered. You're fine. Uh, it is really, really, really bizarre to me that that is a kind of 
not diet diet thing. It's like, just be aware of the food that you're eating. And if you're aware of the food that you're eating, then you'll control something. Um, I don't, I, just, just please just stop. That's, this is not how we eat food, right? And if you're looking at a plate and you're seeing 400, 600, 700, 900, whatever it is, and you're not actually seeing what it is that is on your plate, invariably that meal is going to be less pleasant. That experience of eating is going to be less pleasant. That is superbly unfair. And I don't know who you're referencing in terms of the person who said, counting calories is harmless. (laughs) Um, I saw a really pretty um, powerful, at least in the States, um, female figure making some ovation about this, um, that counting calories is really like easy and like this is fine. Um, I very strongly dislike this woman uh, because she doesn't care about anything, Um, certainly not other humans. I think we also, and this is just like some general education, um, calories are labeled within a range of accuracy. And so if we are like losing time diligently counting things, that is a thousand percent an indication of disorder. And also probably a waste of time because it's not an accurate tally anyway. There are plenty of ways to know whether or not you're having enough food. And they are all based on like your somatic experience. This is an inside job not an outside job. And I think that's the recurring theme with diets is that it will constantly get you to try and outsource your wisdom Wisdom. and get you to constantly think that other people know the answers. Amen. But you know the answers. Yes. There was one more diet I wanted to talk about, which was keto. The last one, which I still feel is like, it's been around for a while. It's still quite a big one. This idea of kind of no, like zero, no carb, um, a diet where you, like you say, you're even limiting like vegetables, like true, true, the true keto diet is like really cutting out on certain vegetables, which to me just feels very confusing. (laughs) Um, and yeah, well, well, let's start with this question, Anna. How was, when the keto diet was created, what was its original intention? So the original intention for a ketogenic diet, uh, and this is applicable, is for predominantly young people with epilepsy, right? If we can control seizure activity by modulating an intake of carbohydrate and and upregulating intake of fat. So it's cool that food can do a thing to reduce seizure activity. Again, no one who is an adult person choosing a ketogenic diet at this moment in time, and maybe I am being unfairly um, over-exaggerative in saying no one. I'm just going to say the grand, most of the humans who are opting into keto right now are not grown people with epilepsy. Um, They're just not. And I think it's so fascinating, right? Like 
keto is Atkins, just like grown up and rebranded. But now like you don't get micronutrients because forget about like lettuce, like or carrots for mm, heaven forbid you get some beta carotene. Um, it, this is another like unsustainable you can't do this forever and it's so it's so fascinating like i remember when i was first a dietitian so coming up on 13 years ago my colleague had celiac disease and watching her eat gluten-free bread that was really 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 unpalatable it was hard to navigate and now the stores are full of gluten-free things. And this is not reflective of the fact that there's an increased incidence in celiac disease. No, not at all. There's an increased interest in gluten-free as part of like wellness profession, right? We're saying like, if you eat gluten-free or dairy-free or egg-free or nut whatever it is, like your health will improve. So in the last two years or so, the number of products that are available with a kind of keto approved stamp and what that means, I'm assuming it's, you know, no sugar or fake sugar, or I don't even know, like high fat something. Um, this is not a response to an increased incidence in childhood epilepsy. This is a response in an increased interest in the ketogenic diet um, that again, is one that is most certainly not able to be adhered to in a long-term fashion. Um, and it, it's just this, oh, it's just this ridiculous thing, right? There's nothing long-term health promoting about eating with so like with such a narrow uh, breadth of flexibility. And it's not reflective of what real life eating looks like either. Um, and so, gosh, I have a lot of compassion for folks who are navigating keto because the way that it is presented right now is like, this is so easy. Like you can go to the store and buy these things and you get your thumbs up for eating them. Um, and people talk about keto in reference to like pretty rapid body change and then remembering, right? Like carbohydrates bring fluid with them. And so if we dry out a body and then we start adding carbs back into life, um, it doesn't take very long for a body that maybe did change to go back to its natural happy place the, the minute you stop um, following the diet. And again, not your fault, just biology. Exactly. And I want to point the listeners to the maintenance phase podcast and they did an episode on the keto diet and it was really interesting. They really deep dive on the origins of the keto diet. And what's interesting is that even the use of it for children with epilepsy is like, you know, a very like last um, resort option yes. for doctors. Like they'd much rather use any other intervention Um because it's, you know, not necessarily safe, not all children can do it. You know, once again, it's a restrictive diet for children, not 
um, you know, recommended, you know, people really don't want to use it as much as possible. So this is how much, you know, in its, in its instance of using it for children with epilepsy, even that is like fairly rare. Um, and so the fact that it's become this mainstream diet trend for adults is fascinating. But like you said, there's a ton of products out there. There's a ton of money to be made. Of mm. course, it's going for the win. And then you get trends on TikTok, which is like the bell pepper sandwich, which is meant to be like the keto low carb sandwich, which is meant to mimic a bagel, I think, which is so sad to me. So sad. Um, I love bell peppers. We just call them peppers in the UK. I love them. Oh my goodness, they're so sweet and I love them. They're so juicy and I love them. But the idea of replacing a piece of bread. bread? No, (laughs) absolutely not. (laughs) The the idea of replacing a piece of bread with that is just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Agreed. And even a piece of gluten-free bread from 12 years ago would probably be nicer. That's the love. It's a push. push. (laughs) It was a solid brick, but... But, yeah, you're not supposed to have – let peppers just be peppers. Yeah, yeah. Like, let bread be bread. Like let peppers be peppers. Amen. And I have had so much fun um, talking to you. Before we completely wrap this up, are there any other kind of key telltale signs of diets masquerading as wellness trends that listeners should be on the lookout for are there any other things that you want to like honorable mentions we should be bringing up I think keeping your ears and eyes open for things that actually use the expression wellness um this is really this is really important because again diet diets know that they don't work the industry is pivoting so be really, really thoughtful with yourself, yourselves, as you navigate this this month and the future um, months of being an eater on this planet. And I just want to say, like to everyone, like I trust, I trust your body, and I trust that with appropriate, adequate access to food, that your body will trust you. Back. Um, we we live in a world that is, you know, it's really hard to have a body on this planet. And the more we are able to take back our power from the systems at play that make us uh, feel that our bodies, you know, can't do this this life thing. Please, please, please save your money um, and come back to you. I really appreciate that. So my final question is, Anna, what has been your most recent train happy moment? Can I have two? You can have as many as you want. Okay. So firstly, um, in a broad sense, I'm actually going to say, I think, no, this is not, I think. I, as I said, I, my immune system is, is pretty suppressed right now. Um, and I really, 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 really hate, um, inconveniencing people. And I hate saying no to people. And I have had really firm boundaries about how I 
interact with other humans. And please don't get me wrong, being disabled and chronically ill in the midst of a pandemic really, really sucks because I have to trust everyone in my circle to do all the things to take care of me. Um, but I have actually worked really hard in the last couple of years and more recently with this new variant, um, just saying no to things and protecting myself uh, in ways that I don't think that I would have been able to in previous versions of my life. I think everything that has happened to me in the last several years, it's like, gosh, like I really needed to be in my 30s for all of this to happen. I couldn't have done it um, if I were any younger than I am. So I have a lot of gratitude for that. Uh, and secondly, and this actually is a train happy thing, um, I have I have the good fortune of having a physical therapist come to my house a couple times a week right now. Um, and I'm faster, like I'm gaining some strength and, and please don't like, <laughs> don't misunderstand me. I am not fast when I walk, but I, me and my walker are cruising like infinitesimally more rapidly, which is really nice. And I accidentally, like not thinking about it, like went on my tiptoes last Monday. And I haven't done that in I don't know how long. I really appreciate these moments because I think, firstly, the boundaries thing, I just think is so great. And that is so about being on your own team with yourself. And mm -hmm. I, I really love that. And secondly, like, yeah, go you. This is great. Yeah. We love these wins. Um, Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can everyone find you, support your work, and just get more of your brilliant insights? I am at Dietitian Anna on Instagram, and this will be the year. I said this last year, um, but not a heck of a lot got done last year. This will be the year that I actually have things available for people to take home. Um, because I put a lot, lot, lot of work into social media, but there's, and I have a full private practice. I will always, you know, take insurance and see people in real life, but, um, I would love to be able to give, um, myself to more humans. And so I that's think, my plan. okay, well keep us posted because I think people would love to work with you, um, and kind of like work with you that are kind of around the world I'm sure there's a whole global audience for you it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you and that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening I hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please let me know by sending feedback you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the train happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. 
and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 